0: Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved in sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi-coffee.com slash rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family-friendly and positive, so get involved.
1: Get involved, oh yeah. Now I'm your host, Ando, with me is Mitch. Mitch, how are you, my friend? Very good, very excited to be doing another live stream. It's been a little while since we've done one, so it's great to be back uh, on this platform again. Absolutely great. Well, we
0: are incredibly excited because not only are we doing another live stream, but we have the opportunity to chat Rugby World Cup. And more than that, we have the opportunity to chat with the legend himself, Squid Rugby. Robbie is entering the show right now. How are you, my friend? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. I am overbilled already,
2: but very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'll take any chance to talk about this Wales team and this World Cup in general. I'm absolutely loving it.
0: Exactly. And I think that's really one of the main things we wanted to do. We wanted to try and put out as much content to celebrate the amazing spectacle of Rugby that we are being uh, Mm. offered as a treat every weekend. Triple headers, Saturday and Sunday. There have been some absolutely incredible matches. So as we're going forward across the evening, we'll be on for about the next 30 to 45 minutes, depending upon how things track. But we want to make sure that you know, dear listeners, that you can be getting involved. You can send your questions in live and we will respond to them as we go questions comments banter whatever it is if you want to chat about mitch's hairline here is
1: one i've prepared earlier
0: (laughs) oh true it is not Yep, there's, there's one already. Sure, it's not Rugby World Cup 2023? No, mate. We know exactly what we're talking about and we're <laughs> loving it. So what we might start off with is just a bit of the absolute basics. So, um, Squidge, where has your love of women's rugby come from? Because you're one of the main content creators both on YouTube, or mostly on YouTube, I should say, that is really promoting a game and doing the deep analysis that we see about the men's game, but you're also doing it for the women. Why and where's the love come from?
2: Yeah, I mean I think you might as well ask where's the love for rugby in general come from. Yeah. Um because I think it's I I I think it's it's increasingly feels exactly like the same game. Um and I remember a couple of years ago the um there was a game 2020 just before lockdown and everything between England and France. And up until then I'd always watched Wales's games and the women's Six Nations um and I've always kind of, you know, endeavoured to support that Welsh team equally and so on. But then it was like, I watched that game between England and France, which was before the um, men's games kicked off on the Sunday. And it was absolutely amazing. And it was, you know, cause I'd kind of dipped and dived in and out and I suddenly found myself really, really into this French team. I um, just really kind of loving them. And it became, it was the same gateway that watching uh, the rest of the six nations for the men's when i was younger watching a lot i suppose it was actually the lions in 2009 where i went from kind of um only really following wales um to following everyone else to just seeing like that really really amazing game between england and france where suddenly i just completely fell into it and i watched every game that six nations every six nations since and i've been going out my way since then to find and sometimes it isn't always easy to find the um the other internationals out there mm-hmm. um sometimes it's like the old live stream hidden or you know <laughs> it's just as well where was the team I follow already and I'm very used to watching games on s4c which you probably won't get is <laughs> the Welsh language channel um oh how good so,
0: okay yeah
2: so they show pretty much all of Wales's games now um which is great but um but if I with
0: Welsh commentators as well I hope yeah yeah yeah, yeah. who were like oh, the best thing
2: about the S4C coverage is they're surprisingly unbiased to say the commentary's in Welsh. So no one that isn't Welsh can can <laughs> follow at all.
0: But absolutely love it.
2: But yeah, so it's just been it's been a kind of steady fall over the last four years from just you know, just following the Welsh team into really being deep into it. And it's always something I wanted to try and be more into and more kind of to follow closer. But the last few years I've really managed to do that, I think.
0: Well, it seems that your love for rugby has coincided really well with what has been an incredible tournament so far with some absolutely fantastic games. So, again, Squidge might just stay with you. What have been a couple of the standout matches so far, in your opinion, within this World Cup? Well, I think the the real standout, I think, is oh, well, there's two from this
2: weekend, which I think that England France game, again, I think is kind of becoming the not just the best fixture in women's rugby, but I think maybe my favourite fixture across all of rugby. Uh, it's just always amazing to to see. I love it because um, the two teams really go at each other. And even though the Red Roses haven't lost in however long, the three games where they've come closest to losing are all against France during that running run. And that includes this weekend, which I thought was just an incredible, incredibly intense. Um, like you, It's one of those games where like there are still people out there and they're becoming less and less prominent but people that are doing that, oh, the women's game isn't the same quality or intensity or whatever as the men's. And you show them that game because that is not true. The yep. the um, the French defense was incredible. It w- it reminded me a lot of like the t- the um, 2011 World Cup final where every tackle seemed to matter and it was a French team defending for a lot of the game. But it was the best defense you'll ever see from a French team, and it was I I loved it. Uh, the other one for completely opposite reasons. Was Fiji South Africa from? <laughs> <Yes>. uh, yeah, <laughs> which was like ramshackle and ridiculous, and you know, is this Fiji team is so much fun? They're like a parody of a of a Fiji team. Uh, they're kind of just completely ridiculous, and they offload literally everything. And then for some reason, South Africa absolutely destroying them at you know set piece scrum line out everything physical just go yeah but their way looks more fun and joined in and <laughs> it was like a game where there there weren't as many tries as there could have been but every like minute of it was full of teams making breaks and being ramshackle and it almost felt more like in the way of a, a soccer match territory doesn't matter that much because you know you kind of get down and you clear the ball and you get back and forth and so on because both teams were making breaks so often it kind of felt like that like, unless you're literally on the try line, your territory didn't matter because the other team would just do two offloads and run the distance again. I thought that was just an absolutely amazing match. And I've, yeah, I mean, it's been for Australia, New Zealand as well. You know, well, i mean, yep. good company, yep. that was what a way to start the tournament. And yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then obviously what happened happened, but that was fantastic.
0: <laughs> I feel like we can empathise over that after the result on the weekend, but let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. not, let's not get to that point yet. Um, and I completely agree. I think that there have just been so many moments, like that That Fijian squad is basically taking we are Fijian and dialing it up to 11 and just playing yes. with an incredible level of freedom and joy, but also with incredible skills on display as well. Um, and I agree, the South African team I think got sucked into that way of playing rather than playing what had served them so well in a previous game against France um but or previous game that they had sorry um where you have players like hele who have just been absolutely incredible i think i don't know if i'm overstating this but i think she's been the best number eight in the competition so far yeah. just in terms of the damaging runs that she's making her 80 minute performances and her ability to almost consistently be getting over the game line i just i want her in the walrus i want her to be playing um, every single minute she's absolutely incredible mitch yeah. what has stood out to you from the opening couple of weekends
1: Oh, just how how good and well-rounded this tournament has been. Like, uh, I think I said it on our pod last night, but uh, sometimes when you watch the men's version of the Rugby World Cup, you get like New Zealand against Namibia or something, and it's like 100 points to five or to seven. There's been some big scores, but it's never really been a blowout. And even in the scores where there are a lot of points scored, the other team's still consistently trying their best and scoring points themselves. Like, it's never been... There's never been games where you can't you feel like you can just turn it off because the victories, apart from probably when New Zealand play, but (laughs) a lot of them have gone all the way to the the final whistle, which has been really, really exciting.
0: And even on that point, though, with both the Australian-New Zealand and the Wales-New Zealand games, I don't think you can look at either the Australian or the Welsh performances and say that those teams played poorly. I think that there were some excellent moments from both teams. However, the quality and the strength of a Black Ferns team, which is... Uh, justifiably one of the top three teams in the world just shone through and they're playing at a level and a consistency that i think both england and france haven't yet so far this tournament and so i think we've just been a bit unlucky with the (laughs) with the um performances that we've come up against but in terms of players i've already mentioned the south african number eight Helé. uh robbie any Mm. player in particular stood out for you and maybe somebody that we wouldn't automatically know as one of the superstars of women's Mm. rugby
2: yeah, I think, as I say,
0: Hele and Charlie, the loose head as well for South
2: Africa, I yeah. think have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think, like, also, not to not to keep talking about that one game, but, the, again, the, that Fijian team, um, the I kind of went in having, when I did my research, and I kind of watched back a bunch of their games and so on, which, again, are not always that easy to find, the, the Fiji games. I was looking mostly at the backs. But I tell you what, their props, like, Rassalea, their their tight yeah. head, unbelievable. She seems to be the size of, like... Sixteen other like there are points in which you look at you look at them setting for a scrum and you're like well why have they got two scrums next to each other because she's just (laughs) enormous Um, and like she makes that impact on carries and she played eighty minutes at the weekend she's phenomenal I absolutely love her I I, she's it's one of the really exciting things about World Cups I always find is learning new players and Mm -hmm. like discovering these people who are heroes for their nation that you haven't necessarily seen much of Um, and that was one for. For Fiji, there that like she is kind of a cult hero waiting to happen, and she's been fantastic. Um, and I suppose outside of that one game that was played yesterday, they're still fresh in <laughs> my mind. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure you're very aware of Tarita. Uh, she's Ooh, been yeah. absolutely amazing, and I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, she's another like instant standout. Um, but then I really like this Italy team. I think they were quietly what well, maybe the most impressive team of the first weekend, the where they beat. Um, the USA and they pushed Canada quite hard but obviously didn't get it over the line as it were this weekend um and i think i there's a quite a few players in their team that are playing really well um i think franco at 7 it has been fantastic consistently throughout um she's really very good uh, but their 10 12 of uh, veronica Madia and beatrice Rigoni are brilliant they're so fun to watch and they complement each other so well um that they tried Rigoni at 10 during the Six Nations. So she's kind of there, like, she's, I mean, I I said on Twitter, she's kind of like my favourite concept for a player ever, because she's, what if Matt Gitter was an Italian woman with amazing hair (laughs) who sometimes (laughs) eats sweets during a game? Um, And she's basically that. Like, she's this incredible, like, ball player um, who just loves throwing, like, crazy balls that shouldn't be on, and yet they always seem to come off. Um, and she she keeps like sweets in her socks so she can sometimes eat them during a game. Um, <laughs> and she she has under a scrum cap, like the most amazing and perfectly kept hair. Um, she's just incredible. And like they tried her at 10 during the Six Nations, it didn't work. They slid her back to 12. And Maddie, who's the 10th to come in, has been fantastic. And she's just been playing like her absolute best rugby at 12, with someone to be the foil inside. Um, I think like that 10-12 has been one of the real standouts for me.
0: Mm, definitely and um there was also I've forgotten her name within this moment but, but the South African number 12 as well oh, was yes. absolutely amazing in terms of the physicality. Do you remember her name by chance?
2: I uh, I'm going to say Nvengu I'm
0: going to trust you on that Nguyen. and look it up quickly whilst we Nguyen. talk. But... Yep but in t- the thing that really stood out to me about her ability uh yeah Ngengvu Nguyen- um was her Not only the physicality that she brought, but also the way in which the big hits, the big tackles, and the barnstorming runs would be coming at the right times. Just when the Fijians are getting on one of their multiple breaks or counterattacks, she'd be the one off the second phase when a tackle's been happened, the ball spreads wide again. She'd just go in and put in this dominant tackle to push the attacking line back. And so she's been one of the kind of more destructive defensive forces that I've noticed within within the comp. Uh, Mitch, couple of players that have stood out for you.
1: Yeah, I've um, I've been really impressed, and I'll, I'll probably butcher her name, so I apologise now. But Caroline Drouin, the uh, mm. the French fly half, and she has she had a great opening uh, round of the tournament, and she's sort of built on that consistently in the in the next uh, game that she's played in. Um, I as an Australian, we don't. Really get a lot of access to the European mm. um, female game, particularly on Stan. Uh, so it's been really exciting to be able, with the World Cup rights that Stan now have, be able to watch a bit more of the the Six Nations teams play their their games in this tournament. And and she's one of the highlights of of the players who we're now starting to to see do her thing and um, the real ath- athleticism that they that these women have.
0: Robbie, what was your quote about uh, Jolant from the first match?
1: Well, I
2: think I said something like she had like a 10 out of 10 French team performance, like French 10 performance in a five out of 10 kind of way. Um, <laughs> because she has this thing that these last two games where she's been brilliant generally, but then like against England at the weekend, she put four kicks out on the full. And you kind of she has these like the thing you want from a French fly half at World Cup, really, where she will implode randomly without warning. And then the next phase create the most beautiful try you've ever seen, which she's done in both games so far, where she's kind of imploded. And then like the moment you think is getting to it and she's having a man, you should pull her off. She does something unbelievably great. Like she is a perfect French fly half. She's exactly what I (laughs) want from one, especially at a World Cup.
0: (laughs) Well, with that point, um, I think, Mitch, what you said there is really, really important because, for like like you mentioned, for a lot of Southern Hemisphere rugby fans, we don't have the opportunity to watch women's rugby that often because a lot of our competitions over the last two years were essentially shut down until this year. Um, I think the Wallaroos will have played nine test matches this year um, by the time at least the pool stages of the World Cup are completed, and they played none in the previous two years. So it just demonstrates how significantly the women's game within Australia and uh, New Zealand and South Africa were impacted by the COVID isolation and travel restrictions, whereas the... Uh, women's teams within Europe have, by and large, been able to still have some level of continual rugby. Um, so it's been a ma- it's been absolutely wonderful to watch, particularly from our perspective, the Wallaroos get more game time, um, but also to see these other teams come down to the New Zealand's cloudy shores and check it out and actually get some game time under their belts. So. With that in mind, um, I wanted to jump in now to the Australia versus Wales preview. So there were a couple of points that I thought we'd just cover from like almost an administrative point of view. So the first one is the Australian hooker situation. So we had both of our hookers on the on the weekend red carded, Adiana Talakai for two yellow cards, um, and then Ash Masters for... Um, Direct contact to the head, upright tackle, uh, immediate red card. So, um, Ash Masters has unfortunately contested it and has not been successful. So, has been received a three week ban. So, unless we get pretty deep into the finals, that's her World Cup completed. And Adiana Talakai has been cleared, she is free to play. So we do not have a hooker crisis. Uh, We will be able to field a team um, for the match against Wales. Sorry to say that, Robbie. Um, That is one point. That is one point. Now, um, did you see the news that Donna Rose, one of your props, is facing the judiciary tomorrow? Yes, i just seen that before we came on. I saw it's for an incident at
2: a ruck, but I'm not sure what it was. Yeah, neither. I
0: I went back to look to see if there was a penalty or anything given to her and I couldn't find anything. So Mm -hmm. it must have been one of those incidental ones that's not picked up except by the match review panel. And
2: it's, it'd be a real shame because she's played very well. Um, but also tie head is about the only position we have got depth, or the props in general, I suppose, about the only position we have got genuine depth in. Um, so if any of our players who've played very well over this tournament had to be banned, I suppose it's the one we can cope with most. <laughs> but I thought she was arguably the best player in, against New Zealand. So.
0: Um,
2: so it'd be a shame to lose
0: her. Definitely. Well, why don't we jump into that match anyway? So Wales had a pretty uh, pretty challenging game up against New Zealand. Like I said, we empathize. Uh, we understand what it can be like to go up against a rampant Welsh team. So despite some um, early defensive strength, they did end up going down 12 to 56. New Zealand getting pretty sloppy with their penalty count in the latter part of the second half and actually giving away two yellow cards. Um, so being a couple of players down during that latter period. But Robbie, looking at this game, I mean, obviously you can just see from some of the stats that we've got available that the Welsh attack really struggled to have any type of um, impact upon the game, any type of directness through the New Zealand defence and the width and the amazing play from Portia Woodman and Rubes mm-hmm. Tui were just just incredible, just incredible. They shouldn't be allowed to be on the same team, I, I think. Uh, as, as a Welsh fan, looking at this match, ha- how have you come away from the game?
2: Yeah, really interesting and hard one to know what to feel about because there were two periods of the game really where it felt it felt like we needed to reduce the seven style like the the scoring team kicks off because every time Wales were conceding, then kicking off back to the Black Ferns who would run the the seventy meters and score, and then the same thing would happen over and over again. It became like like in tennis when you want to try and break the other player's serve, except when we broke their serve, we'd get to their line and then knock it on, and then they would go the length and score again. Um and so there were loads of positives to take out the game, but when you're quite easily conceding 10 tries, it feels quite hard to look for those positives. Um mm. and when it is a World Cup match, it's not like the we saw a lot of the exact same positives in the game, warm up game we played against England um a few weeks beforehand, before this World Cup. Um where there were large points where we had them at the mall, we had them at the scrum a couple of times, um, where there were things that were, looked like they were working and clicking. But at the same time, um, we conceded 70 points. So it's quite hard to, to be too up on those positives and even more difficult when it's actually a World Cup game. Um, but we did see how good this Welsh pack is and how the things that Johan Cunningham, the coach who came in about a year ago now, um, who was on the verge of being the... He was quite, kind of quite controversially left out from being the Welsh men's forwards coach um, mm-hmm. and has taken this job as his kind of like follow-up um and is doing a fantastic job but you can see how the things he prioritized which are basically scrum more uh scoring from five meters out and just like getting your pack in order uh those things are working but the other things i think he left off until further down the line um did not come through and looked more like afterthoughts uh and unfortunately defending unbelievably talented backs was not one of the things he (laughs) prioritised.
0: And I I think that's one of the big, big challenges. So, I mean, we all know, we all know the scoreline, we all know the challenges that Wales had, but looking at the game, you did say that you were able to come away with some positives if we can kind of ignore the 10 tries that were shipped. So if if, if we put that to the side and just go, yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) uh, What were the positives that you were able to draw out from that game as a Welsh fan?
2: Yeah, I think... Really exciting thing. Like, that first 10 minutes was fantastic because we kind of had New Zealand where we wanted them in that we were vaguely containing them on defence, but mostly our scrum was completely on top. Um, it was something in the Six Nations that every team... But, you know, England still destroy everyone at the scrum time. That's that's fine. That happens. That's, you know, what it is. Uh, but it was, like, the real strength in the Six Nations this year was the World Women just, like, they were... They, they were completely dominant against the likes of Ireland and Scotland and Italy and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and we saw that again against the Black Ferns and it's really good to see that happening against the bigger and bigger teams. Um, Cause before it was kind of like, we were the best best scrum of the smaller nations and we were kind of relying on that to close out games. Um, and again, like Eleanor Snowsows kicking has been the big thing that's come on in the last year. Um, so she was again, if you go back to last year, she was when she was looking for touchline penalty or something. Even if she had a perfect angle, she was getting about ten meters on it. Um, yep. And now she's getting like twenty, thirty. It's improved immensely. Uh, we brought in Stephen Myler, who is a a kind of icon and hero of. He played about four hundred games for Northampton uh, and got one England cap in the process, and was kind of famous <laughs> for being like 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 the like a bank middle manager who happened to be a fly half. <laughs> like he kind (laughs) of like plays rugby with no passion as I was like a very boring day job um and he's kind of became beloved went to London Irish for a bit now he's come to the Ospreys in Wales um and is has just been fantastic and just kind of grown slowly but since he's left Northampton the kind of cult of Stephen Myler um
1: and we've brought him (laughs) in sounds a bit like the Tom Carter of Wales
2: Yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah not a million miles away um just like a slightly boring northern man and it's great um <laughs> like he, he takes no joy in playing rugby whatsoever he just does it because it's his job and he's like okay you know gotta go for another day at work got a long night tonight you know it's an 8 p.m kickoff um and he's yeah he, they have brought him in as a forward coach and he's done just a fantastic job just in increasing the the kicking range and the accuracy you saw that the last minute against scotland that kick at the end um so yeah so there are the In terms of kicking game, in terms of forward play, in terms of the ability to play 10-woman rugby, that has come a long way. Um, And in the last, like, 15 minutes, we finally gave the ball to Jazz Joyce. So uh, that was positive as well, because we (laughs) haven't seen that much about the
0: tournament. Well, one of the things, we were able to look at some of the stats over the last couple of games from Wales. um, And so one of the things that was really... Obvious in watching the New Zealand game was the challenge that they were having getting over the game line. Um, And so against Scotland, they had 60% of the carries getting over the game line, and then that dropped down 21 uh, points or 21% down to 39% of the carries over the game line against New Zealand, which just showed the way in which all of that kind of tight in... tight in forward play, one or two out from the ruck, was just getting driven back time and time again by the Black Ferns' defence. Now, I think that that might be an area that you can probably exploit against the Wallaroos. I say you, obviously, because you have great connections into the Welsh rugby team and tactics (laughs) they'll be playing with this weekend. Um, But I think that the challenges that Wales had in breaking through the line, does that that provide you with a little bit of concern moving forward, that in some ways, whilst whilst there were some good moments, the the challenges that they have had don't seem to be getting any better in terms of um, being incisive in their attacking play.
2: Yeah, we had a couple of moments against Scotland where things clicked in the first 20 minutes, um, the two breaks by Meg Webb, um, and there's been the odd moment in that game, uh, but that's about all we've seen in the, the cunning mirror, as it were, um, of this team really clicking uh, in, mm. in attack. Um Otherwise, it's odd carries, and we've lost Alicia Butchers, who's probably our best carrier, um, arguably our best player, um, who's a flanker who got injured in that making a you know break in that Scotland game, um, and also Jazz Joyce's fiance, which is a, I just find it lovely. I love seeing Aww. them. Okay. I love seeing them on the pitch together. You know, I love yeah. I love any moment where they kind of like like there was a moment where scrum was setting next to Jazz's wing, and the two of them had a little chat, and it's just I don't know, I love it um
0: <laughs> just, yeah it's it, who um uh french scrum half sensu and yes. who's the 21
2: uh Bourdon. yeah they're the two scrum halves are, are engaged it turns out and i've been watching them thinking they're like fierce rivals for the nine shirt for years and it turns out no they've been in love it's wonderful i love it.
0: love is fierce robbie love is fierce <laughs> uh where were we anyway yeah uh wales is attacking patterns <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah um
2: but yeah i do i think there was a real problem against the black ferns um and i think it's a problem we seen whenever they come up against a team with a well-drilled defense which scotland have a very like tenacious defense and they will keep coming and they will contain you for phase after phase after phase but they won't necessarily be kind of shoving you back like they're more looking to contain rather than to pressurize yeah. um, and I think the Wallaroos are far more on the, you know, they want to disrupt you and they want to get amongst you end of things. And I think that could be a problem. Um, it might be another game for relying on malls and scrums to, to try and
0: advance downfield. Yep, and you might well have a fair bit of success in that. Our small defence has not been a strong point over the last few games. But Mitch, moving now to a bit of an Australian perspective over our last couple of games, um, we do have some injury concerns moving into this coming week. So Shannon Parry uh, had reduced minutes because of a lower leg injury. Um, Arabella McKenzie had her knee heavily strapped during most of the second half of the game on the weekend. Um, I've heard news from the inside of the camp that Arabella McKenzie seems to be coming good And should be available for this weekend with no issue, which is excellent. Um, We do have a decent backup in Chalene Pomare, if required. Um, She's quite an experienced number 10 from the Western Force. But, I mean, having the incumbent Bella McKenzie there would be wonderful if she can make it. So, Mitch, looking from an Australian perspective, where do you think that we need to be improving in to put our best foot forward for this match
1: against Wales? I think one of the areas, and you highlighted it before, our mall defence was worrying. And we've we've given away yellow cards and we've given away penalty tries. I think twice in this tournament um, through not effectively stopping a mall, either collapsing it or just doing the dark arts incorrectly. Uh, (laughs) So that's one area where we need to be better. And Wales has shown that they have a good mall and they will try and score their points that way. Uh, If we get into a, a battle where, Wales is just kicking to the corner and we're consistently allowing them to do that, we could get into a, a tight spot and they could be just consistently rolling over points and we could end up with our discipline, which we're starting as, a, as Australian, as a, as a team, as a nation, we're starting to uh, get a reputation for being not the most disciplined team, men's or women's. Uh, and so that's starting to cost us quite dearly. So that's another area that we really need to focus on this week is not giving away those penalties Get those tackle heights down. Those tackles on the weekend were really lazy, didn't need to happen, but gave the ref no Mm -hmm. option other than to go to the pocket.
0: And I think that um you've you've highlighted a few really good points there. I might just kind of expand upon. Uh, the first one is the defensive um, mall height. So one of the things that was really really obvious in watching the game is that when it, when the Wallabies are trying to defend the mall, they're way too high with their body height. So they're almost standing upright and trying to push against, which is just a really ineffective way of doing it. So they need to be making sure that within that involvement, they're getting the body and tackle height down. Um, but I think that what you were saying there in terms of the tackle height as well, as we. Saw or with the um, red card to ash masters i think a lot of that comes in a broader sense through the challenge of uh playing the full 80 minutes from an amateur rugby background like many of the walrus are um so one of the challenges that we've had is that the walrus are the only fully amateur team within their pool um and so whilst within both games they've been really really strong within the first 40 minutes particularly the first 20. they've quite they've often kind of exploited out of the blocks in terms of the physicality of their running although Scotland did get up to a 12 point lead by half time um but they have still been really really competitive in those early stages before their fitness kind of drops off um so one one of the things i was wondering about the welsh team robbie is what mm-hmm. proportion of the players are uh employed as professional rugby players is it the whole team the whole squad how, how how does it work over there in wales yeah so this has been a big change in the last year that um similar to what
2: you're saying about COVID, like even though the welsh national team was getting fixtures they're having fixture arrangements just by the six nations and so on um welsh rugby during the pandemic was completely gut or women's rugby were completely gutted in wales like they cut they got rid of the four regional feeder teams so suddenly the all of the welsh players had to leave and go and play in england uh all play yeah. for their kind of local clubs um they got rid of they like, kind of got rid of like the under 18s and the 16s pathways they stopped under those like everything went um and then it was sort of last year about just maybe just over this time last year um Wales hired a guy called Nigel Walker, who is a former, I mean, he's got a fascinating kind of life story. Sorry, this is a very long way of answering it. No, 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 I love it. I love uh, to Go
1: for it.
2: He was a, so his, his life story is fascinating. He was a kind of like Team GB Olympic standard sprinter um, who then got injured, lost a second of his time, and went, well, I always loved rugby and signed for Cardiff um, and went on to play rugby for Wales as a kind of former, you know, Olympic sprinter. Um, and yes, he wasn't quick enough to, you know, compete in the Olympics anymore. But he was still really really vast. fast yep. yep. <laughs> yeah um and he then retired and he went into you know all sorts of like sport management stuff with team gb with the olympic team uh mm-hmm. and he then last year left to join the world rugby union and pretty much the first thing he did when he came in is go well our, Welsh, our women's team is a shambles and instantly went and um like inside his first week he went into the women's camp uh they'd kind of met for their games that autumn and said like i'm gonna make sure you have contracts in your hands by the end of the year this was in november um and yet by like like first week of december we had like eight players signed their first professional contracts in wales um, wow yeah and then like the following year Uh, around the six nations, just before the six nations, they contracted more. So we had like 20 professional players and then just over the summer before the world cup, um, the entire 33 players that were going to the world cup are professional through the end of December, at least, um, with the idea, aim being that they'll continue on unless they want to, you know, there's a handful of players who are in their late thirties might want to retire. Um, and they'll all be assessed after world cup. Uh, but the aim is to build that out and have like a squad of professional players that aren't all just the world squad as well. Um, So they're quite soon into professionalism. A lot of them are kind of 9, 12 months or so into being full-time pros. Um, So some of the gains you might see from that are marginal at the minute, or it's entirely fitness, and you haven't seen that much happening otherwise. But um, we now have a full squad who are professional, even if some of them have only been that for a month or so.
0: That is that is incredibly exciting. And I think what that means is you'll just see that consistency, that development of that skill base over the longer term, as well as those mm. obvious benefits of added strength when they can actually dedicate the time in a gym to add that element to the yeah. game as well. Um, so, Mitch, we have a big game coming up this weekend. At this point, it looks like Wales and Australia, if other results fall in their favour, should both be getting through to the quarterfinals. Should. But... There's a big difference between uh, scraping in and having to face one of the top three, and um, getting in based upon kind of not not your own net. You, you get what I'm saying? Having to play a, a less challenging team than maybe England, France, New Zealand. So, yep, Mitch, who? who out the you... Yeah, exactly. Who do you think are a couple of the key players for the Wallaroos that are going to determine the outcome of the match on the weekend? And then, Robbie, I'm going to throw it to you for a few Welsh players.
1: Okay. Uh, from the Ford Pack, we'll start with Eva Kapani. Uh, she was phenomenal last week, and we just saw not only from her set piece ability, but the way that she was trucking the ball up in the midfield and and getting the Wallaroos across the game line. She's a a big player that's going to have a big influence on the rest of the forward pack around her. Um, uh, sticking with the forward pack, and it'll be interesting to see which way the selection goes. But um, I was really impressed with Piper Duck last week when yeah. she came on, and mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be it's time really to give her a shot at starting because. You know, we will get out of the pools most likely, but there is still a chance that we won't. And so we need to see what she can do with um, coming, not coming off the bench, but having a, a good impact from the start. So I think if we can play a really strong 4 dominated game, it's going to set us up quite well. And I, I expect that's the way that Wales is going to attack us. So we're going to need some big uh, ball ball runners and, and have good ball on-ball presence as well. Yeah, well, I think that's, that is one of the
0: one of the strengths that our um, team had over the weekend was basically the strength of the back line or the back three, the back row, I should say, the back row, um, in that we had Piper Duck on the bench. We had Grace Kemp on the bench as well, who's traditionally kind of your number six, maybe a number eight, but actually filled in at lock um, off the bench. And so what that meant was at the end of the game, we actually had four um, back rowers on the field, uh, which w- was really, really effective. So one of the things that I was able to find out is that um Australia's ruck speed across the field first two games has never been lower than 56 percent in the zero to three second recycle period so basically um for 56 percent of the rucks, we're getting the ball out within three seconds which is really really good uh Wales has never been uh more than 36 so that's just showing you the different emphasis on quick recycling and the role that our loose forwards have in ensuring that possession and making sure that we can have that quick scrum uh quick uh ruck play so i think that one of the areas that whales are probably going to be targeting um is probably slowing down the ball at the ruck and disrupting the play and b- bringing in some of their power runners a little bit more because the Wallabies have really struggled with defense in around the fringes of the rock yep. um, the pick and drives are really effective against the Wallabies. so with that in mind i would agree I probably think that Piper Duck should be replacing Shannon Parry. Um, mm-hmm. Not because I don't think Shannon Perry's is good, but if she was struggling a bit with an injury, give the captaincy to Grace Hamilton and then um, have Piper Duck come in. I think the back line is looking strong. I don't think you need to make any changes there at all. Um, Even so, on that point,
1: sorry, just on that point yeah, of go, Shannon Perry go. last week, I, I was surprised that the number of times that she made errors that were unforced and coming yeah. out of the game saying that she had an injury and, had that injury going into the game sort of paints that picture for that, but she was uncharacteristically a little bit off in that in the big particular that first half. There was a few times where she either just dropped a pass or dropped the ball or knocked it on in in the tackle, which is uncharacteristic of her. We know with her sevens background that she is a very on ball type player, um, and yeah, I, I think we need to be consistently performing at the, our best to really um, to to match Wales and to match. Um, the tempo that they're going to bring. So we need to bring in a player that's, if uh, Parry's not uh, 100% fit and ready for it, then as you said, yep. and I think that's a great call. Yep. yep. I cool.
2: think it's interesting. Oh, sorry.
1: No, go, go for go. it, Robbie. I was no, waiting on on the, you. the
2: point you're saying about Sharon Parry it ties into the line speed thing. Like she is phenomenal at just clearing out the ruck, which is a skill that often goes kind of missed. But I think it's something Piper Duck did a lot over the weekend as well when she came on um is there the ability to to guarantee and allow quick ball by just being like lightning quick clearing up breakdowns and being unshuffleable so that the scrum can ship it along um and i think yeah that's a that's a really important thing is just having a six who is unafraid to be dirty and isn't necessarily
0: looking to carry all the time but can just you know put their head in dirty places and I think that's where Piper Duck kind of steps ahead of Grace Kemp a little bit has been that option because Kemp is more of more of kind of your traditional kind of number eight ball carrier, loves the ball off the back of a scrum and charging up through up through defences just waiting to smash her. Uh, she loves it. She loves it. She reminds me of kind of like a, um, a Boudicca figure with a flowing red box going <laughs> in behind, just wanting to it to the like Roman oppressors that are dominating. So, look, I, I feel like as c- fellow Welsh compatriots, you guys would understand that mightily as well. But from your perspective, Robbie, what are you hoping for from your team in this weekend's showdown? Are there any particular players that you're looking for to stand out and have a really big match?
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Ellen and at fly half, again, I think Wales are slowly developing their kicking game. And I think that might be something they really look to... Press against, press against the Wallaroos. Um, I can see them looking to kick far more heavily than they... I mean, they kicked heavily a lot in the first half an hour against Scotland, and then the second half, Scotland got in control and it kind of faded away. And I think that might be something they look to do throughout the whole game. So it might be Snow. So we might see Kira Bevan come in at Scrum off, who's a better kicker than uh, Fionn Lewis. Um, so that could be interesting to see. Uh, but the other, the other player, I think, because because we will be kicking away a lot of ball. Uh, Alex calendar, the flanker who you were just saying people who love it. Like Alex calendar loves it. She absolutely (laughs) loves it. Um, She made 24 tackles against Scotland. She came off the bench and only played half an hour against the black ferns, but made 10. Um, she will fling herself into everything. She will fling herself at everything. She cheers everything that goes Wales' way. You see her constantly, like, applauding everything. She's just a great kind of hype woman for the team, as well as being constantly throwing herself all over and making endless tackles. Um, I, I think if if we're to contain that Wallaroo attack, which I think is a lot of the big problem, you know, that especially the the stuff we we're seeing in the first half hour against um, New Zealand in the last half hour against Scotland, um which you know says we're 20 minutes off an eight minute performance which is scary <laughs> um but it'll be it'll be players like her it'll be players like um alex calendar who will be really key to disrupting that especially with felicia Butcher's injured um so yeah it's kind of perhaps not the most exciting prospect but i think wales is kicking and defensive um as well as the the front row um I'm gonna say front row is the one area where I think we have got proper depth. We've got Karis Phillips will probably come back in a hooker, uh who's been very good but was rested last weekend. Um and she is just a psychopath. So um like good luck. Um and yeah then any of the whichever the props we pick are they are of a strong quality. So that is uh that's quite exciting. That's quite you know good to know heading into the game.
0: From from your perspective, looking in against this Wallaroos team, it's always interesting to see which players that you're looking out for. Uh, so we mentioned Bien Tarita before. We're hoping she doesn't mm. become Mal Torita this coming week. Um, but <laughs> she has been just electric so far. From your perspective, who are you watching and hoping they have a really poor game against uh Wales?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean Torita reminds me so much of, and not to make a very large comparison, but like 10 years ago when George North first came into the Welsh team and was suddenly like this 18 year old kid who was scoring two tries against the Springboks, scoring against the all black, like just no one, you know, (laughs) had no regard for the opposition they were facing. Like Tarita had no, like, she didn't seem to care who Portia Woodman or Ruby Tui were, you know, she just round them and score. It was, there's (laughs) that kind of brilliant, like confidence of youth to her, as well as just being an unbelievable athlete. Um, I think Shawnee Williams has had a very, very good, Start of the tournament. Um, she's such a useful kind of glue player for a lot of the rest of that backline because Arabella McKenzie is fantastic and she's been playing well. But she's a player who sometimes will slip up and throw a ball, like she sometimes throw a too ambitious ball or she'll sometimes, you know, yeah. overplay slightly. And Shawnee Williams is great for kind of like just like soaking up the. The pressure and just like crashing it up and she'd be like, no, I'm just gonna just gonna make a sensible decision now, and we'll all calm down, and then you can do your your silly things next phase. Um, <laughs> and she's been fantastic for like those two kind of canceling each other out a bit, like yeah. both of them cancel out their worst qualities, which gets the best out of both of them. Which I think that's been that's been really really good. Uh, I Emily Chancellor has been fantastic as well. I think um, yep, yep. I really rate her. Um, kind of came in as someone who I knew because she had a notable name. And watching <laughs> her play and being like, "Oh, she's she's more than a name. I can easily make a pun on next time I have to cover Australia." Um, has been <laughs> been really exciting, as well as like as you're saying, Capani was fantastic, just absolutely phenomenal the weekend. Um, and yeah, then both hookers as well, I think, have been fantastic. They've both been like real standouts for the Wallabies. Um,
0: it's a a full team, a full team of very very good players. <laughs> Which is really exciting considering the um, challenges that they've faced over the last little while and the fact that we've had to play New Zealand about 83 times in the last, yeah. like, year. So every, <laughs> it's always hard when you're comparing yourself against uh, New Zealand. But either way, um, one of the things that's really exciting me actually is about the growth of where this team's heading in the future because uh, there are a fair few players like Arabella McKenzie, M Chancellor, um, who are heading over to England, actually. Yeah, yeah, Laurie Kramer as well, who are heading over and have contracts in the... Um, English competition, the, uh, the Premiership. So that's that's going to be really exciting to see how they uh, develop and then come back and bring some of those experiences and some of that semi-professional uh, experience back into Australian Super Rugby. Um, but either way, we're up for an absolute cracker of the match of a match. So uh, Robbie, we're going to put you on the spot here, mate. Okay. What's your what's your match prediction? What, how how do you think it's going to go? And by how much?
2: Um. I am going to be. The thing is, it is <laughs> hard, and like it's yep. there's a bit of me that will just faultlessly back whales every time. Um, partly because I think the the are a defaultly pessimistic people, and sometimes <laughs> you it's nice to swing in the opposite direction, and sometimes it's nice to cling on to hope before it disappears because it inevitably will. But I I feel like it'll be tough, and it'll probably be the kind of game that it'll be Wales get off to a decent start and then somehow just about have to cling out and it'll probably come down to the very end on Australia, like on the verge of clawing the back, not dissimilar to that Scotland game. Um, yep. Yep. I'm going to say Wales, very narrow win, but that is mostly levelled on bias.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I would be doing the exact same thing in the other way. I'm thinking Australia, three <laughs> or five or something like that. Mitch, where are
1: you? what are you picking? Uh, one of the points that Robbie mentioned before was around the first game that the Wallaroos played a good 60-odd minutes, and then the second game we played a good lo- late 20, 30 minutes. It's something that uh, Coach Jay has been talking about all year, about that 80-minute performance, and I think the Wallaroos have had a circle around this test for a long time. They they know that the way that the other pool matches have fallen, this was going to be the decider for the pool stages. So I think the Wallaroos have prepped knowing that this is the do or die uh, World Cup determining game for them. So I think they have a plan for this. I, I think that we're getting closer and closer to that 80-minute performance. Take away New Zealand. We've gotten rid of them. We've played them a billion times, like Ando said. Um <laughs> So I, I think we're going to see a really big performance by the Wallaroos. I I'm, think we'll get a good, hopefully 70, 75 minutes out of them, um, getting closer and closer to that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say points
0: there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, minutes, guys, minutes. Uh, and yeah, I, I'll, I reckon we'll, we'll win between seven and 10 points. The thing is, you've talked me around now. You've talked me around now. I think you're probably right.
2: I'm suddenly terrified. <laughs> I'm so easily swung. Um, and that there was an interview of Cunningham, the Where Was Her Coach, where he talked about how um, they're around, they have like a big team, like, server or something where they put like all the analysis and section plans and so on up and their, their analysts have put up stuff on Australia and he doesn't take it back down because they wanted to focus entirely on Scotland until that game happened um, and that does now make me worry what if I mean it's the thing you're saying about targeting one game and it feels like we well, always was targeted yep. to Scotland because they knew if they can pick up a couple of bonus points they should get them out the pool and get them to a final which is the aim um, and I don't know. I don't
0: know. You then? Are you saying <laughs> that this pretty is basically like an Eddie Jones England versus New Zealand moment, where you blow away uh, New Zealand within the semi-finals and then fall into South Africa? So where the South Africa in this environment, or I, a check of Wales in the nineteen World Cup? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay um we've got we have two more quick segments that we want to get through, so let's quickly preview the games so for this weekend and then we have a bit of a locker room where we've had a few questions that are coming in, so right before we go through and start previewing uh the matches that are happening this weekend, and Mitch I might get you to do that if that's okay in a moment um mm-hmm listeners dear listeners and viewers please make sure you send your questions in zach and johan thank you very much for sending yours in we'll be sharing them and and talking about them in a moment but please share your questions and comments and we'll get to them in a moment once we preview the matches for this weekend so over to you mitch
1: All right, so this weekend we do have Australia versus Wales as that first test of the weekend. We then have New Zealand against Scotland and France versus Fiji. Then on Sunday we have Japan versus Italy, Canada versus USA and England versus South Africa. Um, if we go, what, what's your plan here? And are we going through each game or? No, I just think um, we'll quickly ask
0: each of us or even just Robbie, uh, matches on Saturday. So, Robbie, which match stands out for you outside of Australia Wales? Um, are you going to be focusing more on New Zealand Scotland or France Fiji as the other two options?
2: New Zealand Scotland, I feel, probably go the way. We expect it to go. Scotland, yep. you know, heart and soul, and God bless them. But I feel like you can't look beyond New Zealand there. So the, the France Fiji game is going to be a lot of fun. Those are two teams that really like to chuck it around. And you'll yep. probably see quite a lot of tries scored in that game, or at least yep. similar to that South Africa Fiji game, a lot of close tries not quite happening, a lot of breaks. That should be a really open game.
0: Very, very much agree. That's going to be super exciting. Well, for the matches on the Sunday, again, Robbie, any ones that particularly stand out to you as a must-watch? Obviously, all of them are, but any in particular? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I think the Sicily team have been really impressive, but I think Canada USA is going to be really exciting. Uh, the USA have probably been the most disappointing team in the tournament so far. Um, they've come in as one of the kind of, like, bigger dogs, kind of teams who could potentially cause an upset, and they haven't really done anything. Uh, but now they have a chance to kind of prove things and really stand up against their biggest rivals. And I think that's very, very exciting. I think that could be a real chance to to see someone take a proper shot at Canada, um, who have, they kind of saw off it eventually, but like they are quietly cruising through this pool. They kind of remind me of like Wales in the last Men's World Cup or Australia, the Men's World Cup before that, where no one's really talking about them, but they're very good. And they're kind of like, they're kind of easing their way through the competition and maybe they go far, who knows, but they're, they are better than the the level of talk around them and I think that's quite exciting. It should be quite good to see if they can, I've put a statement down, if the USA can finally stand up.
0: Very, very exciting. I think the England-South Africa game for me is one I'm very keen to see because um, I have I don't know if I've been underwhelmed by this England team, but for all the talk around them, I was expecting a little bit more. Against the French. So a lot of that goes down to the doggedness of the French defense, but I'd really love to see England just put South Africa to the sword if they're really wanting to kind of cement themselves as the favorites uh, for this tournament, which in many ways, which in many ways they are. So moving on, then we head to what we call in our show the locker room, where basically We get a whole bunch of questions come in from the fans, from the listeners, and we just chat through it. So what I think we might do, if we don't mind starting with Johan's comment, Mitch. um, Sorry. Yeah, please. So just tying on to this, who's the favourite for the tournament, England or the Black Ferns? I mean, based upon the last couple of performances, I'm leaning towards the Black Ferns. Robbie?
2: Uh, I think England still. Um, I think what we saw in that game against Wales, I was kind of worried about that. as like, actually, the Black Ferns have more in their locker. But we saw. Um, I think the way Wales were able to dismantle their pack says England will be able to do exactly the same. Plus, they won't be giving up as many easy meters. Um, and I don't think it's a written by any any stretch. But I think that England pack is too good, and their defense is well marshaled enough that
0: I would I would back England. Most Very is it pain me to say it. <laughs> that must have been hard for you to say, but well done, well done. <laughs> um, okay, next one, Mitchell. All right, from Zach Chan. Hey, guys, you may have touched on this, but what are the thoughts on Rugby Australia's goal of making the Wallaroos fully professional by 2025? Seems like they should do it sooner, if
1: possible. Mitch, let's throw that one to you. Yeah, we've spoken about it a fair few times on our podcast. Um, we think that it needs to happen as soon as possible for the girls. And even if it's not a fully professional, uh, like make the whole team professional or the whole 23, the setup, they need to focus on certain players and make them professional and that will in in doing that that will raise the standard across super w it'll raise the standard across australian rugby um so yeah that's our thoughts yeah yeah basically it's uh
0: they need to do it sooner there needs to be a lot more clarity of communication and they need to demonstrate more leadership by providing more specifics around their pathways that they're going to be uh or the roadmap that they're going to be using to achieve that goal of professionalism because if uh we're hosting the rugby world cup and um it's like well okay cool um yeah you're going to be professional a year or two before the world cup and australian soil that's just not good enough it's just not good enough I'm, you can just you can see from this World Cup just the impact
2: of being professional for longer makes. You know, England have been professional for three years, so physically they are above every team in the tournament, and yeah. fitness-wise they're above every team in the tournament. Um, whereas you look at like Scotland, who have been professional for about three months because they were very professional in the lead up to this World Cup, they were outdone on on fitness and physicality by the wallaroos who are amateur. Like it's becoming professional doesn't automatically make you better um you need quite a long time to invest in the players and invest in the systems and invest in coaches who can you know develop them and build the team that they want um it's not good enough to just go well you're professional now that'll magically make you wonderful it it takes time things takes
0: time to adapt exactly yep absolutely definite um and i think that maybe a pathway down the future for um rugby australia to look into is maybe the connection between the women's sevens program and the 15s because women's seven have just been absolute trailblazers for rugby within australia and they are just an incredible team like just athletes incredible entertainers and you see some of the skills come brought across by players like shannon perry um like Shani Williams, even Torita had a bit of time. Georgie Friedrich as well had some time within the setup too. Um, so a lot of the really key players. Uh, actually, Arabella McKenzie had a little bit of time in the sevens too. Mm-hmm. So you 18, just have... Yeah. yeah, 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 when she was um, a bit younger. So you have a lot of the star players with Wallaroos that have that sevens background. So I really hope that that's a connection that I continue to um,
1: try and grow and build. But
0: let's move on to the next question that I've we have in one- from-
1: from Johan. Uh, what is our opinion on the Utrich and Rayburn Shields? When will teams recognise it? Uh, you heard about these, Robbie?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think they're really exciting fun fan things that they track back to the very first game of rugby ever played, international rugby for men's and women's, and obviously named after the, the places where the Ducks games took place, um, and then they carry over, so, you know, Scotland winning the first half the game, they then take it, then whoever beats them next, takes the next game, and etc. tracking right through to the current day, Uh, I think it's a really, really fun, like fan led thing. And I love checking in every now and again and seeing where it's, you know, floating about. uh, And it always, yeah, it feels like a really exciting thing. Um, I couldn't tell you about teams recognizing it. Um, It feels more like a fun novelty for fans for me that I think is really fun. And it would be lovely if World Rugby did recognize it and did go. Actually, there's this thing, and it's kind of being handed over. But I don't know if we need a trophy presentation. We don't need it to be like, um, uh, like the one in New Zealand that my name's com- has completely slid from my the mind. The Ranfurly um, Shield. free Shield. Thank you, yep. thank you. It's been a, a long. I have been running on New Zealand time for too long, <laughs> and currently my brain's asleep to everything in New Zealand, so I completely forgot everything about them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if we need a physic, like the physical shield to be handed over, but it'd be lovely if World Rugby we were. Uh, just noting it, even if it's just a social media post or something, saying yeah. that you know, uh, Uruguay have now claimed the Rayburn Shield.
1: How, I think how what is cool, um, the Utrecht it? Shield, the the female version, there is actually a physical shield that they've gone mm. out and made, which is awesome. And I, I have seen the um, the red roses do a little bit with that, and I've seen some of the mm. players hold the shield and stuff. So there is a little bit of involvement there, which is awesome. I know when the Wallaroos did hold the Rayburn Shield last year for two or three matches. Um, Stan Sport got a bit behind it and there was one oh, really? or two episodes of I think it was the locker uh, the um whatever the show was but they had it on the, on the trophy cabinet so um <laughs> it was in the media as well which is pretty cool down here when we had it
0: Yeah, we'll take whatever trophy we can get Isn't that right? Uh, it's been a while right. It's been a while But on that point a couple of other questions Uh Who do you think the player to watch or the most promising player is for the upcoming match? Uh Robbie Oh, so we're going for Australia Wales as the upcoming match
2: Yeah, yep um the most promising player that's a good question um I think Meg Webb uh who is cousin of filmwork from our freeze web um she's been very good she's kind of come out of nowhere yep. she kind of burst through as a 20 year old played like one game got injured and now is back two years on and we kind of saw nothing of her until there uh I think she's potentially promising I don't think she's there yet I think she has some problems we really her problems in defense were highlighted at the weekend I think and there's there's stuff to work on there um Larry Norcott, I think, is fantastic as well. Um, she might be one to watch if she gets a chance in this game. Um, and it's like it's a really lovely story that her sister, who played for the Welsh team in the 2014 World Cup, uh, died in a car crash. Um, and her first game of rugby, Lowry, her sister, uh, was her kind of memorial game where a lot of the Welsh team played in as a kind of like oh, wow. to raise okay. money. And she played rugby as a one-off just in that game in her shirt uh, and loved it and took it up. And now has, in the last few months, made the Welsh team uh, um, you know, and does it in her memory, a and she, yeah, incredible. she is now like the most fired up and the most passionate player you'll come up against. And it's something like all the coaches talk about how she works harder than anyone else, and she does it like very much living for her sister. Um, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And she is she she was really good in both warm up games, and she came off the bench against Scotland, didn't get to play much, but if she gets a chance, I think she's really one to keep
0: an eye on brilliant um for the walrus i'd be saying maya stewart is probably the player to look out for so um, i'm not sure people from up north probably wouldn't have seen much of maya stewart she had an absolute breakout season for the waratahs in the super w competition uh and she uh, was one of the top try scorers in the competition but then did her acl and has come back in record time from that mm. and uh, you get players that that are strong. You get players that are fast, and you get players that are agile. She's all three combined on the wing. Okay, she's absolutely f- rapid. So give her a little bit of space, and or get her get her we'll a nice go. kind of floating ball out in front, and she can just run onto the ball. She will get through. It'll be absolutely brilliant. Um, so Maya Stewart is a person I'm. Can't wait to see more. Of. She didn't get many chances on the weekend, um, mm. but I'm hoping that there's a little bit more open play against Wales that she can uh, get some pace on. Mitch, uh, anyone from the Walrus?
1: I guess not really a promising player, but someone who I want to shout out who's been a consistent performer for the Wallaroos in this World Cup is Grace Hamilton. And yeah. Yeah. considering that she was sort of out of favour with selectors earlier in the year and she lost the captaincy and then she struggled to even get in the starting 23. The fact that she's now being selected, she's starting, and she's having massive involvements. Every time the Wallaroos make a break, she's there. She's uh, always involved at the breakdown. She's very key in getting the turnovers and getting and retaining our own ball. And um, I think if we she wasn't there, we wouldn't be seeing as a dominant performance by the Wallaroos.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Well, why don't we jump into now um, the final question that's come in from Zach Chen, because we do need to finish up. Uh, just for the Wallabies, what do you call a passing mark for their spring tour? I know this is for the Wallaroos, but thought I may slip this in. All right, we'll let you get this one. <laughs> though, Cheeky. So. Cheeky. Um, I think a, okay, we said this in a pod last night so i'll just quickly go through it again from my perspective and then robbie might throw it over to you i think two is a conceded pass it's kind of like you got about 45 or 50 and it's like yeah you pass, but it's pretty bad um and three would be good i think we're really going to struggle against both ireland and france but if we can beat scotland first up without a couple of their stars get the win against italy and then maybe um bring it home against wales at the end of the tour then that would be a success for us uh robbie how do you see things
2: yeah, firstly, it's just really nice to see people supporting Men Rugby.
0: Um, you know, it's just <laughs> it's, it's
2: just, it's just really good to see it. Go um, yeah, I I think this is a kind of t- t- almost like a if the Wallaroo, Wallabies Wallaby's performance stage, um, but also are they at the point now where we've seen them perform well for the last year, uh, they need to just learn to close out games. Um mm. so I think you might be right. I think it might be. It might be all it takes is closing out one or two of the big games. And if they slip up in others, then... But I think free feels like the mark. Um, as you say, Ireland and France might be difficult, but I don't think there's any reason they can't at least really throw everything at them. Um, and then they want to be closing out the others. We saw it um, the last four years ago, where Australia beat Wales in, I think, about 86 games back-to-back. Uh, before Wales won the one before the World Cup and suddenly that gave them the confidence to go on and yep. you know win and then Wales have won the game since that uh, that mm-hmm. game in the World Cup in 2019 and that might be a really key game ahead of that pool match to, to win that game and it might be, I think mm-hmm. it's the last one as well isn't it, of the tour yep. so yeah. yep. it might be really worth them targeting that game and going if we can close that game out and we can see that out then um, that might do us as good as learning over the others, you know if we can win a couple of those opening games and then um hopefully really target that one
0: well mate why don't we finish on that hopefully upbeat point of the wallabies actually showing some consistency within their performance (laughs) uh who knows who knows it might happen um so either way mate it's been an absolute pleasure it's been great fun having you on and good to talk about uh good to talk rugby and just great to celebrate the amazing rugby that's getting played in new zealand and uh what should we have to look forward to to from you over the next uh few days you're gonna have a few more analysis cool. uh, videos coming out can you let us in on a little bit of the kind of behind the curtain
2: yeah, yeah yeah um i'm going over england france at the minute um i went over the game immediately afterwards i think there's some really outstanding and really like fascinating things about the french defense that they were doing um some like properly innovative things that i'm sure have happened elsewhere but i i at least haven't noticed when i've looked for it um that are really exciting that's kind of my main focus at the minute and then once i've done that we'll see where i go next but it's probably australia Scotland will be the second kind of cab off the rank as it were so awesome. may move on to that as the week goes on
0: very exciting well uh i'm ando there's mitch this is robbie it's been an absolute pleasure being here with you all thank you so much for your time ladies and gentlemen have a wonderful week and we will catch you later bye bye Yay. thank
2: you see you